0: Sports Radio 1043 The Fan.
1: Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting,
2: fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company's Honey Smoke Salmon. The secret is in the fire. And now we're going to get some fishing secrets from one of our favorite contributors, Mr. Nate Zelinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It It's the time of the year to be on the water, isn't it?
1: It is, Terry. Uh, you know, we were just talking about that. I had some guests on the water yesterday and this week, and... You know uh it's just that time of year you'd wish it would just last for forever. It's so good, uh so yeah, we you know the, the walleye bite we're going to talk about that we're also going to talk about the kokanee salmon bite. Those are definitely probably the two bites uh that I would strongly encourage all the listeners to to attempt to uh to make time for you know in the very near future, just as both of those bites are are just through the roof right now.
2: now, on the walleye bite in particular, I like to tell folks you're going to catch these are the twenty thirty fifty even hundred fish day. Times of the year, you don't get as many big ones, but boy, can it be fun!
1: It can, Terry, and that's the whole idea of it. You know, it's it's a time where I hear so much. I mean, literally on a daily basis, you and I both we hear about the trips to Canada. We the trip, trips to Canada. We want to go to Canada. You know, my dad took me to Canada. We caught a hundred a day, and you know, even on those trips, you know, I know that it's Canada and it's you know it's the the exclusive trip. But even on the days when you go to Canada and catch a hundred fish, very rarely do you catch a lot of giant fish. You know, twenty eight, thirty inch fish. When you have the the typical 100 fish day in canada you know they're usually 15 to 20 inch fish and that's what we're seeing right now on our front range reservoirs i mean literally bar lake chatfield cherry creek boyd Pueblo, lone tree aurora all these lakes right now that water hit that magical 68 to 72 degrees depending on what time of day you're out there when you're floating And that literally is the the peak of the season to where you really can't go wrong i mean this week we we caught fish on live bait rigs. We caught them on jigs. We caught them on blade baits. We caught them on jigging stones. We caught them on jigging rafts. We're catching them on slip bobbers. Um, I mean, literally whatever your strength is or whatever you want to work on as a technique, you can get it done right now. And that's where it's, uh, it's just a phenomenal time to get out there and take advantage of some of the, the best fishing around. And with that said, I wanted to touch base real quick on why this time of year is so good and kind of stomp a few rumors that are out there. You know, everybody knows that that May, June is a phenomenal time to catch fish, but so many of us think it's water temperature related or just summer. But we don't, might not necessarily look deeper into the, the situation and know why it's so good, when in reality, for, say, the, those you know, the younger fish that are, say, 20 inches and less, that fish right now is starting to run out of a food source. So our main food source on the front range in Colorado is a gizzard shad. You know, we see our gizzard shad spawning sometime mid-June, uh, as late as early July. They spawn out, and then sometime in, again, that, that first week or two of July, we start to see the, the young of the year gizzard shad hatch out. But right now, like where we're sitting right now in early June, the fish have not spawned yet. So last year's gizzard shad is starting to approach four inches, four and a half inches. And it's starting to get too large for those 22 and, you know, less. Size fish to be feeding on so all of a sudden these fish are going to alternative food sources they're feeding on midges and bugs they're feeding on molting crawdads Uh, they're feeding on fathead minnows perch minnows copy minnows they're feeding on whatever they can really get their hands on so number one there's a slightly lack of food source it only lasts about a month but uh again there's a lack of food source for it but more importantly these fish are open to taking new presentations of food while they're trying to fill their fill their bellies so it's a phenomenal time of year because the fish are in all Depths and they're really open to about any presentation out there but the main reason we want to talk about this is like chatfield right now we had an early shad spawn in the previous year so 2016 we had an early uh, shad spawn and we actually are, are having adult shad now slightly sooner than normal so we're just uh, our shad there is just slightly bigger i'd say than most places in the state right now and those fish are definitely hungry uh so everybody keeps talking about the skinny fish at chatfield and, you know is something wrong why are the fish so skinny it's just the fact that the shad haven't spawned yet everything's going to be fine um uh, they gotta they gotta maintain you know their their weight for about another three weeks and then they'll have all the minnows they, they can stand uh you know for the rest of the year so we're just about three weeks uh, shy of that shad spawn. But it makes for incredible fishing right now. So get out there and take advantage of those fish that are that are absolutely starving, looking for a meal.
2: Yeah, we used to when I was writing for In Fisherman, we used to call this the summer peak because you hit it right on the head. The bait fish typically haven't spawned yet, but the warm water has a metabolism going. So fish that can't find forage are going to look for whatever they can. Um, you know, it's it's you know a phenomenon like this will happen. You know, when you see a lake where they have a shad die off that has a a grid number of walleyes or bass in it and, and right after that shad die off everybody thinks they're ready for the pro tour but absolutely <laughs> and including me you know what I mean and then yep. then those shad and I mean you get and that's another reason why when we get into uh, later July and August um the fish are going to go back to following those shad Now it doesn't mean you can't catch them it won't be great fishing but it's going to be really different
1: it just changes up definitely. I mean, like right now, you know, just for example, at Cherry or excuse me, at Chapman Reservoir yesterday, our fish were biting somewhat light. We had some heavy wind in the morning, created some chop, kind of pulled the fish off bottom a little bit. So I would say it was uh, it was a slower than typical morning because the conditions with the wind. Um, we did three or four different techniques. And at the end of the day, we ended, I think, with like 77 fish, uh, you, know, you know, upwards 70s. Um, and that's really, I hate to say it, but that's not even a, a banner day. And that's the type of stuff that, you know, at least for the next three weeks, for sure the next two weeks, you're going to encounter on these front range reservoirs. So, uh, I mean, you know, consider it the Rocky Mountain panfish, whatever you want to call it. If you have kids, if you have an adult, if you're a hardcore fisherman, now's the time to get out there, work on techniques, but, but just have a good time and catch fish. Don't get caught up if they're small, big. I mean, you're going to see literally all year classes. You're going to see, you know, 12-inch fish up to 20-inch fish. They're all kind of gathering together, but take advantage of it and have a good time and catch these fish while they're so
2: active. Before we move on to the kokanee, um, I know you were at that uh, Colorado Clay thing uh last week uh michelle tells me the walleye fishing at bar lake was phenomenal
1: i'll tell you what terry it's uh it's absolutely as incredible as i've ever seen it in my life you know obviously i'm a huge huge fan of bar lake michelle i think i've hosted a seminar at their annual fishing clinic going on seven years now uh spend a lot of time out there um you know they've had some droughts they've had some high water some low water and right now we're on the strongest year class of two and a half to five and a half year old fish that I've ever seen. So say 15 to 22 inch fish right now is stronger than it's ever been. Uh, I mean, you're having high number of days of fishing out there and i'd say the average person the average day is probably doing a a 40 to 60 fish day uh but the fish there have to be 15 inches to keep so there's a lot of keeper fish to take home uh the fish are healthy they're fat and it's a great place to uh, avoid some weekend traffic so you can go out there there's no recreational boating. there's no water skiing things like that so it's uh it's 10 horsepower or less and no wake you can launch any size boat from thursday to sunday it's closed monday tuesday wednesday for boating uh hopefully we can get some good attendance in there and kind of kind of boost some attendance and hopefully we can get that back to a seven day a week boating type situation but yeah right now it's thursday to sunday uh any size boat can launch as long as you're using that 10 horsepower or less or an electric motor uh and you can have a phenomenal day out there catching those walleyes
2: now if you're going to bar lake and i used to fishing but it's been years any quick pointers <laughs> where maybe they might start a technique that seemed to really Yeah, you be- know there,
1: there's more structure out there than everybody gives it credit for. Everybody talks about being a bowl, but there's a, there's a major roadbed out there running across the lake. that's really good. There's a big center hump, basically a sunken island. that's very good. And then all your shorelines, you know,
3: there's a lot of points and
1: little coves, and every one of those little points uh, is going to hold fish. I mean, whether you're fishing, you know, 6 to 8 feet of water or 12 to 16 feet of water, as long as you find a slight contour change, it can be literally a one-foot drop over the course of 10 feet. And those fish will gravitate to it. So any sort of contour change, you're gonna you're gonna have a great day on the water there. So just find some contour change. We caught the fish on jigs. We caught the fish on live bait rigs. Uh, it was all producing fish out there. So again, same thing. They they have a fathead minnow forge as well as shad. Those fish aren't going to spawn for a little while. So you same thing. You have a, a good opportunity and and a good couple weeks to get on those fish out there
2: all right now what you were saying kokanee when he came on tell me about that
1: yeah you know terry obviously the kokanee population in colorado has gone up and down we have gill lice it's a major problem um we're doing everything we can to keep the fish stocked in these reservoirs um and try to you know just increase that bite everybody loves kokanee as a western angler but right now Everything is lined up perfectly at Eleven Mile. Now, obviously, Blue Mesa is probably the the known lake for kokanee in the state of Colorado, but Eleven Mile right now is producing phenomenal fish. I mean, we're seeing kokanies on the big side of 20 to 22 inches almost on a daily basis.
2: Wow! I mean, That's, those, they're, are they're, gr- those are those
1: are the I've seen in my career, 17 years as a guy here in Colorado. I mean, you know, we usually see those fish one or two a season, three, four a season type thing. And we're literally seeing 20 or 22 inch fish daily. Uh, I mean, we all know Larry Falk up there at the 11 mile Marina. You look at his like Facebook page or his website. I mean, he's getting limits of these big Cokes every single day. So, for all the Coconino fishermen out there, if you're if you're listening to this, you don't want to make the haul to Blue Mesa. I mean, Blue Mesa is an awesome fishery and worth the drive. But a little closer to home, the numbers are through the roof right now at Eleven Mile. Um, you know, so it's a great fish. They're running bigger than I've ever seen, and they're very active. And it, it's the peak time, so we're going to have about six weeks on this bite uh, if it goes it, it, like it normally should as far as schedule. So from right now until that mid-July, um, these fish are only going to get bigger. They're only going to get more aggressive. Um, uh, and they're in good numbers right now. So that's definitely a, a hot bite for anybody out there looking for kokanee.
2: Hey, Nate, um, last year, in the last few years, we've really seen some fluctuation in water levels through the reservoirs, some of them getting extremely high, even reservoirs like Chatfield. What do you see going on in the waters you fish as far as water levels?
1: Right now, everything is normal in all of our lakes. So Spinney was dramatically low this spring. They only had one boat ramp. So on the the, the south or excuse me the south boat ramp of Spinney has been closed all spring. The normal north boat ramp is open, but of the three lanes they only had one lane open all spring. Now all lanes are open. Spinning's going up about a foot a day right now, but it still has about six vertical feet to go before it's even at full pool. So water level is good. It's coming up slightly dirty, but it's coming up in good. Chatfield is at at total normal pool. Cherry Creek is at total normal pool. Uh, Bar Lake's a little low, but same at normal pool. Uh, So everything as far as the bodies of water we fish, Pueblo included, uh, is all at a very stable, normal rate. Um, And the way it's going right now, we still have a lot of snow in the high country, but I don't anticipate any flooding. Uh, I don't anticipate anything that's going to put a worry on the fisheries uh, or the angling or the the bites out there fishing right now. So everything on our end, uh, is very normal for this time of year water temperatures are almost perfect on schedule where they should be uh, despite the early spring uh, and fishing's good and should be very stable here over the next month or
2: so are you seeing what are you seeing like uh, i know you've got some of your guys that fish the bass at aurora and quincy too what are you seeing there
1: it's phenomenal. Our, our bass are on beds right now. So Matt Insley, obviously, he's the king of Quincy and Aurora. Um, he, uh, I believe he, the other day he took out a, a good friend of ours, uh, and they had 16 bass uh, in the boat over three and a half pounds, threw a scale on most of them. Uh, but yeah, they had 16 fish over three and a half pounds, most of those being largemouth. Uh, and, and the bite is good. So those fish are on bed. Uh, there's a few fish coming off of it, but most of those fish are spawning or just coming off of the spawn, um, and it, it's been great. And we're also seeing the uh, the perch spawning as well, uh, which is starting to do just a slight hair bit of a topwater bite as those bass are pushing those, uh, those young uh, perch up against the shore and up to the surface early in the morning and late in the afternoon. So uh, the bass bite is absolutely phenomenal uh, if anybody's out there looking for those aspects. And same as Pueblo, those fish are done spawning at Pueblo, uh, but same thing, a lot of opportunity for those good fishing postpone.
2: And you mentioned the uh, kokanee up at 11 mile. How about the trout at 11 mile and Spinney? Are they still going well? It's going very well. Now,
1: I will say that there is a massive bug hatch. Uh, our has just started to hatch about five days ago. We still have our big midge hatch taking place at Spinney. Uh, we're even starting to see the early stages of some damselflies out there. Um, so as the conventional tackle angler, uh, the guy out there you know, to a normal gear, we're seeing a great bite early in the morning and then in the afternoon once the wind comes up. Uh, so as long as you have some sort of darker situation, whether it's dark from the, the sun and light, or it's darker because you have some sort of wave action, uh, the conventional tackle guys are doing phenomenal. If it is dead flat calm, like it is most days from say 8 a.m. to about noon, uh, the conventional tackle anglers are struggling a little bit. The, uh, the whole east half of the reservoir is gin clear water. The west half of the reservoir is a little dirty. Uh, but those trout, you're getting a hundred follows a day, but getting those big rainbows, those 22 to, you know, 24 inch rainbows are hard to commit in those calm conditions as where the fly fishermen are absolutely excelling in that 8 a.m to noon so if i was giving anybody advice the fly bite at spinning is just phenomenal why the rivers are high and blown out if you're a fly angler get up there and still water fish if you are a conventional tackle angler i'd start your day off early with conventional tackle and then i would learn even if you're using a slip bobber in flies uh you got to have that natural presentation when that water is glassy and calm once wind kicks back up Go right back to that conventional tackle, and you'll do very, very well up there.
2: All right. All right. Nate, we got to run on Kirk Dieter and I. Kirk Dieter's coming up. We're going to talk more about that fly fishing. But how do people get a hold of you if they want to book a trip or go to one yeah, of your please. events?
1: best thing to do is go to tightlineoutdoors.com. Uh, all of our information is there. We'd also love to uh, kind of throw out there. It makes a great Father's Day present to get somebody a guided fish, uh, guided fishing trip here at Tightline Outdoors. We guide all species in the state. We have 14 permits on 14 bodies of water. We'd love to take you out. But again, tightlineoutdoors.com. You can also go to our Facebook page, which is Tightline Outdoors, and stay tuned Monday evening for me live on the BoTech and Tightline Outdoor Facebook page at
2: 8 p.m. here on, uh, on Tightline Outdoors on Facebook. All right. All right, Nate, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again very soon. We'll talk soon. We're going to take a break. and we come back, Kirk Dieter from uh, Field and Stream and Trout Magazine is going to join us, a phenomenal resource, a great friend. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by the smoked salmon from the Honey Smoked Fish Company. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by the Honey Smoked Fish Company's Honey Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. We are going to go right to the phones. Joining me, uh, he's a good friend. He, if I go through his entire resume, we will eat up the whole segment. But he's he's an author. He's the an editor at large for Field and Stream magazine. He's the editor for uh, Trout Magazine, among among the many other things you do, Kirk Dieter well you're kind it's always good to be with you terry oh good to be with you we don't talk often enough but great to have you on a few things i want to cover we're going to keep you for a while because we're going to go into the next uh, segment after this too but i want to start out by the first of all you wrote a book with a very dear friend of ours many years ago called the little red book of fly fishing
4: that's right wrote it with charlie myers the great outdoors uh writer for the Denver Post, and. Uh that came out in in 2010 which was sadly the same year that uh, Charlie passed away but uh, we worked on that for a few years and he was a mentor to me and the book has done uh, great and it's a uh, you know been been a great uh, legacy to follow along with
2: well and you know Charlie had such an influence on both of our careers he was so involved it was fantastic always uh, brings thoughts of him when you and I talk but before we move on to some of your new things that book I think that a lot of people don't get into fly fishing because it's so intimidating, and it doesn't have to be difficult, and that book really broke some barriers to help people with simple tips to get out and catch some fish, didn't it? That's
4: right. The idea was all along, uh, let's uh, not look at fly fishing as rocket science. It can be as, as technical as you want it to be. Of course, you can climb that learning curve for years, but the price of admission doesn't have to be much more than an hour of practice and a couple flies and some basic equipment and you can get out there and enjoy it so the tips that are in that book are some of them are you know, slap your forehead simple and others are, are kind of detailed but it's all short concise and, and meant to be uh explained in a way that you might hear from your uncle who's your mentor and that's how i, I took it and, and that's how we wrote it
2: now you've got a new book coming out and i haven't seen it yet i mean it may, maybe it's out already or it's outer coming out and that's on Tips too is this going to be kind of the next step or explain the new book to me
4: exactly so the next book is is it just came out a couple weeks ago, and it's called trout tips um just simple trout tips and it's uh the exact same size, the exact same format, and the exact same um, you know pattern that we we had with the little red book of fly fishing um obviously with the uh, now gone um i I'm the editor of this book, but I wrote it by Uh, involving tips from Trout Unlimited members from all over the country. So you've got people who are guides in Alaska and Montana and just everyday armchair anglers, and the tips are very much like they are in The Little Red Book in that they're simple and straight shot, and they involve casting and picking flies and and all that. So it's pretty much the sequel to The Little Red Book of Fly Fishing.
2: And, you know, having these two books uh, as a... um... As a set and owning them they're the kind of books, whether you're a novice angler just getting started or an advanced angler, you want to pick it up and just page through you don't have to read it cover to cover, page through, and you're going to pick up things every day that help us all
4: well that's the hope and and we hear that a lot a lot of people who are you know I have had guides say, "Gosh, you know I'd forgotten that that's something that i I'd learned when I was sixteen years old, and thanks for reminding me and some of it is uh, you know like when you cast, keeping your thumb in your peripheral vision, that avoids you overcocking your wrist. But, you know, you don't think about those things until someone says it to you. And so keep your thumb in your peripheral vision, You straighten out your cast a little bit, that works out well, those types of simple tips,
2: and yeah, so well i 've yeah. only been fly fishing for thirty years and I, <laughs> and i didn't hear that tip before, so there we go
4: yeah there you go so so there you know then there are two hundred and fifty tips in each of the two books, and so now there's five hundred total tips, and, and plenty to work with well, and
2: right. i've got the little red book and i I glance at it and and you know a, a lot of times what I do is I don't look at it before I go, and then I have a terrible outing, and I, I start thinking about things afterwards, and I go, why was I not doing that? And you know, if you get those off days, just pick it up and refresh yourself. It it gives you a new outlook and a new a new uh, confidence when you go on the water.
4: It, it sounds like my golf game the other day. I went out with my son, and I, I was beaten terribly on the golf course by him. He said, it's okay, Dad, just go to the range. You'll sort it out. So we went to the range and sorted it out. Same thing with fly fishing. If you're not quite on if you can brush up by reading up a little bit or, you know, maybe casting on the lawn that tends to help straighten things out.
2: So where, where are the books available?
4: Well, Trout Tips and a Little Red Book are available on, in fly shops. That's my favorite place to uh, get people to pick them up, to go to the local fly shop. Um, but they're also available on Amazon and uh, through other online retailers. And then Trout Unlimited is going to be doing a calendar campaign for members of th- summer where, you know, you sign up for your... Um, donation, and then you get a calendar, and, and you will also get uh, the copy of Trout Tips. Then, so look for that. Any of those different ways, it's easy to find.
2: Now, I want to switch up with you a little bit uh-huh. here too. You're also, um, you know, very involved, obviously, as uh, with Field and Stream and Trout Magazine. And uh, we were talking on the phone, and I made a mention that uh, I get all my magazines on an iPad now, and the formats are really changing. As heavily involved as you are in the print industry, what do you see going on there?
4: Well, yeah, print and online. I don't think in anyone in media
2: nowadays is
4: exclusively print without some kind of online. And it's been an interesting evolution. I've been with Field and Stream for oh, 12 or so years now and seen that. Magazine really evolved quite successfully uh, from just the print readership to now where they have hundreds of thousands of people who go to fieldandstream.com to check that out and the story. So what's interesting is that as an editor, and we're doing the same thing with Trout and Trout Unlimited, uh, you have to just think about which bucket you drop your content in now. I think there's still very much a need. People like to sit in an easy chair and read archival-type stories in in magazines, and they like to relax and and read those. But then they like to be able to access information quickly, you know, if I want to know what's hatching on the South Platte River right now. The easiest way to do that is probably by picking up my cell phone and uh, scrolling around and looking on the Internet and seeing what happens. So um, being able to manage both of those media interests and media, media needs is really the trick for being successful as an editor today.
2: Well, I, I, I can tell you that having really started in the industry as an outdoor writer, I did some tournament fishing, but writing for people like In Fisherman and Fishing Facts many, many years ago and through the 80s and 90s. And then uh, I didn't do a lot of writing until now. though Over the last uh, year and a half, I started writing a weekly column for the Denver Post um, the way I have to approach my content is, like you said, is so different because before I'd send in an article where it'd be full of pictures and and they would pick from it and they would they would pl- they'd have to sometimes trim it or place it in the magazine. Now my my column runs every week in the post, but only occasionally in the print. and so when they take it in the print, they have to cut it down and make it fit. Well, the one online always has the complete story and usually is full of links to podcast and and to video and things like that.
4: That's exactly right. And by the, by the way, before I go any further, I want to congratulate you and thank you for carrying on that outdoor tradition in the post. It's important. Uh, there's not enough um, great uh, expert information out there in traditional media these days, and it's important to have voices like yours heard. So thanks for doing that, first of all.
2: Well, that's very flattering coming from you. Thank you. Well,
4: yeah, of course. And And then secondly, you're absolutely right as far as and I forgot to mention it on the first part of the question, but video. You know, People like to see how things work. It's, it's one thing to, do, to explain how to tie a fly
2: in words.
4: It's another thing to show it in pictures. But if you can actually bring it all together in video form, um, that's more effective. So, of course, we will lead, for example, in Trout Unlimited. You go to tu.org, and you'll see all sorts of different fly patterns. And it's just people tying flies as they go and then you pick it up that way a lot easier than me trying to explain it to you with just words
2: Uh, we've got to run to a break kirk but i'd like to keep you on hold when i come back i'd like to talk about what's going on right now with the runoff and fishing right here in colorado okie doke all right i'm going to put you on hold and we'll get back to you in just a second thanks uh terry wicks from outdoors is brought to you in part by the great folks at the honey smoked fish company their honey smoked salmon is just incredible the secrets in the fire Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. I want to go right back to the phones. We are talking with uh, editor of Trout Magazine, field, editor-at-large for Field and & Stream, and author Kirk Dieter, and who hails right here from Colorado, a good friend for a long, long time. Kirk, we, we only have a few minutes left because I'm running behind, but I really want to touch on this time of the year in Colorado, get your tips on how do you deal with you know We're seeing peak runoff and uh, the rivers are running pretty high and muddy right now. Do you still fish them? Do you do alternatives? How do you approach this time of the year?
4: Well, usually around this time of year, I do one of three things. I'll either go ahead and fish the rivers and just fish the slack water with big, gaudy flies and hope that the fish see it. Um, You know, they still eat in this high water, and and sometimes it's a good challenge and, and a test of your skills to try to catch them in this dirty high water it's not anything that I would shy away from although it's not my number one thing to do of course so the number two thing I do is I I go to still water and that's actually probably the 90 percent of the time how I'm going to be fishing in days like this and uh, it's great challenge because in a river you're looking for seams and currents and drop-offs and all those things to locate fish well those same rules apply in still water, it's just way more subtle. And if you can train yourself to find those changes and find the fish in still water and make gentle casts on glassy water and, and, and you know, the presentation of the fly is just so, it really ups your game. So if you're a good still water angler, you're going to be a good river angler later in the summer.
2: I, I agree with you completely. In fact, I, I, I think it's they do a lot of fly anglers do themselves a disservice when they uh, shy away from still water i think you know there's a hesitancy there a lot of i know a lot of fly anglers do fish still water but i think there's just a lot of them that do shy away and it it, they really need to get past that and and not be afraid of it
4: yeah you're right and and in fact there's another aspect to that and the, the third thing that i do is i might move away from trout and i'll go chase some carp in the still water down in and around town you just go to the local golf course pond or the park pond and Trust me, those fish, they might not be uh, as vaunted uh, a a quarry as the trout are, and people don't respect them as much. But, man, they are hard to catch. And if you can figure out how to fool those fish, bring that back to your trout game, you're only going to make yourself better.
2: You know, another thing, and you're absolutely right, carp are extremely intelligent, but also you're liable to get a 10 to 15-pound fish if you are fortunate enough to be successful. And how many times have you seen somebody – get their first big trout they have that nine pound brown on that looks like 15 in the water and they just pucker up they've never had a big fish on before and they really don't know how to handle it you know you don't get as tense if you lose that carp and <laughs> and you you really learn how to handle those fish don't you
4: absolutely and they eat different ways you know you can watch them cruise along and try to intersect them or sneak up on them all those things and then You're absolutely right. Once you have them on and they're pulling, it doesn't matter if they're a carp or if they're a trout or whatever. It's still making that real hum along, and you need to figure out how to manage the bend in the rod and apply enough pressure to steer the fish, but not really too much to break them off. It's all all good.
2: I'll tell you what. Going to a good carp fishing outing. And I was very fortunate. I did a lot of carp fishing with uh, Barry Reynolds when him and Brad Beefus launched the book. They were on my television show at the time many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. And the first time you go bone fishing or red fishing, maybe red fishing even more than bone fishing, um, you, you're a little more understanding of what it takes to have that kind of a fish on the end of your line.
4: Oh, no doubt. In fact, people talk about permit being the hardest fish. And I've, I would swear that sometimes carp are harder to catch than permit.
2: Oh, I, I, I agree. Hey, Kirk, we're going to run out of time here. Before I let you go, I know the other way you handle the high water here is you get on an airplane and go somewhere. That's I actually did a, a piece on my Facebook page uh, earlier this year. I said I deal with the multiple cold fronts in colorado's fisheries by casting into the gulf of mexico <laughs> <laughs> right, so where good. are you headed give us a, a 30 seconds where you're taking off to
4: well i've got a few trips this, this year i'm on my way to brazil and bolivia i'm going to be fishing for dorado and peacock bass in the jungle and uh, then i'm next week i'm on my way to san diego i'm going to be fishing for giant mako sharks with conway bowman making a story
2: all right well we'll look for the book trout tips and we'll look of course for trout magazine and we'll look for you in field and stream and when you're back in town i want to get you in studio absolutely thanks for everything bud you bet thanks kirk always a pleasure always a great resource safe travels thank you let's go right back to the phones now and joining us uh one of my favorite people from one of my favorite companies and that's uh kevin from the honey Smoke fish company good morning kevin
3: well good morning terry you know You get the honey-smoked salmon, and you bring it on on your trip. So at least you succeeded with pleasure
4: (laughs)
2: in
3: eating a fine piece of fish.
2: We actually fished with a guide in the Cumberland River down in um, Tennessee. And he actually, this was years ago before I knew about honey-smoked salmon, but he actually carried salmon in a cooler with him, and he had you release all the fish you catch, but then he ate, you ate the salmon after to get the experience of catching and eating fish.
3: <laughs> and some people say it's good luck. It brings the scent, you know, the little <laughs> honey smoked salmon, the secrets in the fire. Yeah, and yeah. then, you know, all the fathers out there, you know, all your kids and the, your wife are wondering what to get you. Maybe throw the little hint that a honey smoked salmon is great and you can put it in your fridge. It'll stay 90 days if you don't break the seal. And once you break the seal, 10 to 12 days. Oh, and, and it, keep in mind it's diabetic friendly and lightly
2: smoked. You know, I made that comment earlier that as I'm getting older, I want to stay active, and one of the things that's an you important, are
3: active, very, One of the things
2: <laughs> that's an important part of my health is what I eat, and I've had to learn that, and and I can do substitutions without giving up taste by using honey smoked salmon. It's in my refrigerator. It goes in pasta. It goes in omelets. It goes in my dips. I eat it right out of the package, and it's so good for you.
4: Oh
3: yeah, I like to put it on top of my burgers or top of my steaks. You know, like you do with blue cheese or something like that. Oh, it's great or bacon. It's fabulous.
2: Where can and they remember the secrets in the fire? Where I can they find it, Kevin?
3: Oh, King Super, Safeway, Costco, Sam's Club, soon to be Walmart.
2: Wow! And I'll tell you what—you you can always find it in my refrigerator, but I'm not giving it up.
3: <laughs> well thank you terry all right and thank you, you for all my customers and you know that support honey Smoke fish company
2: right here from colorado thank you thank you my friend thank you terry all right terry wickstrom uh,
3: have a great weekend everybody
2: you bet terry wickstrom Doors is brought to you in part by the great folks at honey Smoke salmon's honey Smoke fish company the secret is in the fire Today day I faced a barren waste without the taste of water. Blue water. Blue <laughs> Blue Terry Witts from Outdoors water. is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, oh, Dan and America's, Dan premier Dan Dan. America's premier outfitter. Let's go right to the phones, and one of our premier sources, Mr. Ronnie Castiglione. Ronnie, first of all, thank you for filling in for me last week. Always a great job.
0: Thanks, Terry. I always have a lot of fun when I'm down there on the fan. You know, I, I listen to the fan just about every single day, so... Uh, it's a lot of fun to get in studio and sit in those chairs where guys like yourself and Big Hal and Mac and everybody hang out all day. So, kind of a cool thing, Terry. I appreciate that,
2: the yeah. opportunity. Well, we don't want you to do it too much, though, because it could put me out of a job. you did too good of a job. <laughs> you can't do it forever, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ronnie, I know that you want to talk about some techniques in casting and then you were going to give us an update and I know we've yeah. talked about some of the waters you fish, but you won't believe this, but there are people that don't listen the whole two hours, so we'll talk about the casting but I do want to get a fishing update from you before you go. But you want to talk about casting accuracy. And I'll tell you, I, I got a statement. I, I remember when Kevin Van Dam broke onto the scenes, and no no less of an angler, he was sharing a boat in a tournament with Denny Brower. And uh, Brower came in, and Van Dam had just stomped him, and he said, I got outcast.
4: Yeah, buddy, absolutely. It, it, it can a make a difference. It,
0: it it really really does and it's it's really one of the easiest things to fix as far as learning how to fish uh casting is a huge part of the skill set and you know and talking a little bit about in general water water conditions that we have right now especially in our northern lakes up here around Fort Collins at Boyd Lake Horsetooth and Carter are all absolutely full of water, Terry. And so what that does is it puts a lot of cover into the lake. All the trees are submerged. All the bushes are submerged. Everything's got water on it. And so a lot of the fish are absolutely going to relate to that kind of cover when it gets water on top of it. But unless you can get an accurate cast right up next to that cover, Terry, right where you're shooting to try to get your presentation – you're not going to catch those fish you know without fail i see clients in the top of trees i see them on the side of mountains i see them you know oh should i cast by that bush yeah go right ahead it ends up right smack dab in the middle of it you know so casting accuracy will dramatically improve your fishing because it'll put your lure presentation in the spots that the fish are at terry
2: No, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, sometimes just a matter of a couple inches can make all the difference in the world. I can tell you tournament fishing, I've fished in front of and behind people, having fished both bass and walleye tournaments at the highest level, that I've come after a guy who didn't catch a fish and maybe hit a spot just exactly right, or I've fished a spot and somebody came from another angle and put it in a different place and took a fish I missed.
0: Absolutely, you know, and what we see a lot is I see I see kind of a standard casting flaw in a lot of people's cast and that that is that they tend to cast sort of a lob cast, you know, sort of a high arcing trajectory to the target as opposed to a real straight, low, accurate cast. The problem with that kind of lob cast, that kind of high arcing cast, is that once that lure hits the water, then that line is kind of up in the air there and without fail, it blows sideways a lot of times and ends up landing in that tree. You know, the lure you cast, it may not be in the tree, but if your line gets up in the tree or in the bush, well, you, now you're in trouble, Terry, and you've got to get up there and get it out. So, you know, there's definitely a a, a big advantage to somebody being able to cast accurate and it's the kind of thing you can work out when you're not even at the lake, Terry. you know I, I highly suggest that everybody take a little time, learn to cast, just get out in the yard or even in the living room and pick targets and try to put presentations right by them. One of the other things and the other flaws I see all the time is people aren't very good a lot of times at casting at close targets they're used to maybe standing on the shoreline and doing a standard overhand kind of a cast, but then when I put a target in front of them that's only 10 or 15 feet away, they don't understand that there's another technique in order to get there. So you want to learn all the different casting techniques. You want to learn to be able to pitch things underhand to those close targets or flip things into that heavy cover. You want to be able to learn to do a little side arm cast to get you in at a lower trajectory under overhanging cover. A roll cast is an excellent thing to learn. If you can learn to do a sideways roll cast then you don't have any back cast in the whole motion that you're doing and so if you're in and around those trees you don't have to worry about anything behind you because you're doing a short little accurate roll cast. All of those casts come into play when you're fishing around. A lot of cover, and you know, talking about fishing. and Let's start talking about that. There is a lot of cover in the water right now, Terry.
2: Well, before you get the full reports, I got to really agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, if you're the first cast that you need to learn, other than just casting out in the lake overhand, is that underhand pitch, whether it's a spinning rod or a bait casting rod, because you're just people tend to want to cast too far anyway, and your accuracy just improves so much exactly what you said.
0: Yeah, and it brings the lure in at a low trajectory. So when you're trying to get into a tree and kind of get under it to the stump or something along those lines – that little underhand pitch is a very, very accurate way of doing it. And that also comes in play on the rivers a whole heck of a lot, Terry. If you're get out and fish the rivers for trout, those little underhand pitches is how you hit those real small little holes, those little runs, those little pools behind the rocks. A lot of times it's just that simple little underhand pitch that puts the lure right there, right where you want it.
2: So and, and when you it's get all
0: very, very important.
2: And when you get older, it doesn't fatigue you as quickly either. <laughs> oh, I 100% agree with that. <laughs> it's a
0: lot easier the... on my elbows. Yeah.
2: So what's going on in the lakes up there, Ronnie?
0: Well, you know, I mean, high water is definitely the topic of discussion right now. If you haven't seen Horsesuit or Boyd Lake as of late, they are all completely full. Horsesuit's just within a couple inches of flood stage. And boy, Terry, man, they have put a lot of water into Boyd over the last two to three weeks. They opened all the inlets up full bore, and they had built some new inlet structures recently on that lake, so it allowed a whole bunch of water to come in in short order. And right now, Boyd is as high as I've probably seen it in the last 15 years, Terry. Um It is completely full. You can get your boat up into areas that you had no chance of getting your boat up into for the last few years. And without fail, we found fish yesterday deep in that cover, Terry. They were right in the middle of a lot of that cover. Uh, we definitely see that there's a lot of vegetation that got flooded, a lot of terrestrial grass that got flooded on on Boyd, and a lot of the, the terrestrial weeds that had grown in while the lake was low. You know, initially, Terry, when the water first started making it up to that stuff, the fish were on that stuff. They were on the edges of it. They were in that those weeds. They were in that grass. But what we're seeing now is that those weeds are starting to die off now. Those weeds are starting to get a little toxic under and getting soft and mushy and it tends to be that those release, they release kind of a gas when they die off like that, Terry, and so it changes the pH of the water a little bit and it affects where the fish want to be. So we're not seeing a lot of fish right now around that kind of stuff, but we're seeing them up in some of the big trees and up in some of the, the willow bushes and the trees and the cottonwoods and stuff like that. That's where we're finding a lot of the bigger largemouth especially, but we're seeing a bunch of walleyes up in
2: there as well, Terry. So what kind of presentations are you pitching up there at Boyd?
0: Uh, Heavy, heavy jigs. you got to get something in there that's going to punch right through that cover. So either a real heavy kind of mop-style jig, but a cover jig that will go through that kind of stuff with some sort of a soft plastic trail or something like a a Berkeley Jigger Chunk or something like that works really, really well on one of those mop jigs. But we're using heavy ones, you know, three-quarters of an ounce to an ounce, that kind of a thing. And then we're Texas rigging some baits as well and putting soft plastics on those. And once again, we may be going a half-ounce, three-quarters of an ounce or an ounce on. On the on the weight that we're putting on the Texas baits as well it's really about something that's heavy that will fall through that cover that's under the water and that you can make real accurate flips and punches with but it's also got to be a presentation that once you make contact with that fish Terry you got to horse him up out of there as fast as you can and if you let that fish run if you have your drag set loose anything like that you're gonna end up tangled almost immediately in the kind of cover these fish are in right now so you really got to get it in there throw it right into the heart of it right into the little spot let that thing fall straight down through the water column and be ready for that strike to come right as that presentation makes it to the bottom. And be ready to set that hook and yank that fish on up out of there, Terry. All
2: right. We got about a, less than a minute. What about horsetooth? A little different because it's has full, so you don't have the same kind of grass.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and there's far less of it that grows in, into horse tooth as well. Horse tooth fishing is really good right now. The smallmouth are very, very easy right now, especially for the smaller size ones. There's a lot of males that are still kind of in the general areas where they spawned. They've pretty much finished up the spawn for the most part, but we are seeing a few stragglers that are still on beds. But the fish are kind of in those general areas, still still guarding the fry and kind of working around those banks. The bigger smallies, they're kind of on the move right now, Terry. They're definitely kind of going towards their summer homes we're seeing the bigger smallies show up real early in the morning and we're also seeing a lot of the bigger smallies being caught at night right now terry they're getting caught in the dark coming up to feed in the back of those coves whereas during the day those bigger fish are out possibly suspended somewhere or on some of that a little bit deeper structure so that's kind of what we're seeing and, and the walleye bite seems to be improving as well up there it was really good early in the year and then it kind of had a lull but right now guys are starting to catch walleyes again shallow again in the evening hours, right up next to the bank,
2: Terry. Ronnie, we are out of time, but we will talk to you again next week. Thanks again for filling in for me last week.
0: Absolutely. Have a good one, Terry.
2: You bet. That's Ronnie Casaglione, and we've got to go. It is time. Join us every week from uh, 9 to 11 right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.